Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our fourth episode, I do believe, of Dear Writer. We do have a very special guest today, which is Dr. Melody Lindsay, and she's joining us from her home in Tauranga, I do believe. Yeah, she is a professional proofreader and editor and the founder of her company, Docklands. Would you like to sort of explain a bit more about what you do, Melody? Hi, yeah, yeah, you can just call me Mel. (laughs) It's great to be here. And thanks for the intro. Uh, So I just started out proofreading a few things here and there for my lab mates back at university. And it sort of progressed to proofreading their entire thesis which got to be quite a lot. So there were a bunch of hoops to jump through with the university. And so I ended up starting Docklands and, you know, getting my company started. So we proofread mainly academic theses, papers, that kind of thing. And at the moment, we only have people with doctorates who can proofread for us. So it's kind of our little point of difference. But looking forward, I'm hoping to bring some more people on board or at least one other person on board and keep doing what we're doing, and hopefully expand more into novels and more creative works and whatnot. So it's exciting stuff, exciting times. Yeah, definitely exciting prospects. Welcome to the show. I hope you have a good time joining us. Absolutely. I'm excited. Yeah, so that is really cool, because we are talking sort of this time about over-editing and the dangers of that. So that's why we've brought Melody on, or Mel, sorry, on this time. To help share some insights. Yes. Hopefully. All right. Let's hope my (laughs) insights are valid. (laughs) We'll start off with our usual kind of update, I think, though. Ashley, so how how has things been for you over the last month? It's been interesting. So... For those of you who aren't in New Zealand, Auckland went back into a lockdown because uh, of coronavirus. So we've basically been cut off from the rest of the country with the military and roadblocks and all sorts of things. <laughs> I didn't realise military were involved. That's quite intense. <laughs> yep, no, the military. Zombie apocalypse, lock you off. <laughs> yep. So that's meant I have actually had quite a lot of time to work on writing. So it came at a, at a good point which has been good. I I still have to work in the lab because I'm deemed essential. It's an interesting experience, but I don't have any of my usual extracurricular activities or anything. So I've had a lot of time to write. And it means that I actually finished editing our third book, Darkness Set Us Free, which has been a great relief because the editing of that really, really dragged on in the end. Uh, There were a couple chapters in particular, which I think I spent more than half the time of like editing out of the entire time. Yeah, it took me over two weeks to edit those two chapters. <laughs> but once, once I got past them, it went quite smoothly. And I think the main issue with those two chapters was they needed a lot more changing than I sort of realized. And I was trying to mash new parts of the end and it just really didn't fit, which is why I was struggling. So in the end, mm-hmm. we rearranged it, rewrote it, and it worked out much better. 
I think that is quite good about having two of us is that, you know, Ashley was really struggling. So we were kind of able to say, well, hey, what if we moved this part to the beginning and she was rewriting the chapter and then I was sort of taking more of an editorial role of let's move this bit to the front because you don't necessarily need it there and then you can rewrite this out of the next chapter to sort of flow on to it. Yeah. It's yeah. quite hard sometimes to try and find those changes on, on your own. Especially when you've been staring at it for two I weeks. I think we're quite lucky that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really good to have the two of you because not only can you bounce ideas back and forth, but you can kind of catch out your like each other's mistakes. Sure. That's hard to do yourself. Yeah, it definitely is, which kind of leads into how I've been going. So I finished The Price of Pandemonium's editing quite sort of earlier on in the month. And then I had a bit of time on my hands, but that was quite good because I was sort of finishing up my exams for my nursing that I was doing. But once I got that out the way, I was then sort of faced with quite a bit of spare time. So I've been listening to a lot of the story grid with Sean Coyne and Tim Grohl. So I decided that I'd start my own novel and try to intertwine those, the story grid way of structuring into that and see how it went. And I am now about 30,000 words into the book, which is quite an achievement because usually when I write by myself, I find it really, really tricky. And I don't get very far. So this has been me trying to challenge myself and then hopefully it'll show in other areas of writing collaratively as well. Awesome. That's good stuff. Exciting. Starting very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, like teen psychological thriller, so it's it's quite exciting. Oh, wow. (laughs) Psych thriller. (laughs) No, yeah. I, I think a lot of people had a lot of time for writing. I was absolutely inundated the past few weeks with proofreading requests, and it was kind of all rounded off by just starting a new job, which was unexpected. So I was basically proofreading full-time, eight hours a day. And I think all the engineering engineering boys in Auckland must have just sat down and written for the whole of lockdown. So I, yeah, so I was immersed in the world of engineering for, I guess, three weeks. You must learn (laughs) interesting stuff being like editing all these theses. I do. I do. And there was, there were so many different topics within engineering. Electrical engineering, definitely not my favorite. (laughs) I think I read an entire thesis on Wi-Fi stuff, but I don't know. (laughs) And it wasn't until their conclusion that I was like, oh, maybe we're, maybe we've been talking about internet this whole time. Yeah. So first mention of Wi-Fi was in their conclusion. So how do you deal with that kind of thing? Like when you're editing and looking at someone else's work and it's almost using like a different language, like clearly you must have ways of managing how to proofread and make sure that everything flows I mean, I've heard it said that sometimes it's almost better if you don't have knowledge in the field because then you can sort of make sure that it makes sense. But how do you... Yeah, yeah. So exactly. Sometimes I think it is good that I don't have knowledge because otherwise I might be looking and going, oh, well, you're wrong, you know? (laughs) Um, So, or, or like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Why didn't you look at this aspect or why didn't you study this? So yeah, what's good about the... I guess the proofreading side of it and not really understanding is you can a 
Google some of the terminology that you don't know. I do that a lot just to be checking that it's really a word. And (laughs) I get a lot of ESL students. And so sometimes they actually get the words wrong. So that's one thing I do have to be careful about. But then I kind of go through and really you're just pointing out, okay, cool, that's a noun, that's a verb, we'll make it work. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. I heard last week someone said, oh, in the old days, you know, we used to just read the read the thing backwards. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that, that blew my mind. I was like, I could not read an entire 100,000 word thesis backwards and make it make sense. <laughs> I guess you'd pick up some mistakes maybe, but it would be pretty challenging and I think you'd miss a lot as well. (laughs) I think you'd miss a lot, right? Yeah. And I think it would take a million hours to get through it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I I could not do that. Do you end up finding that you pick up words that they've used incorrectly, like a lot of terminology when you've had to Google it, like you've looked it up and you're like, oh yeah, it means this and you read it and then you're like, is that the right use of this? Yeah, well, I had a lot of, you know, people use words that if you directly plug it into a thesaurus, yeah, sure, you might get an an alternative word, but it it really doesn't work in the sentence. So um, I'm trying to think of an example right now. I don't have an example right now, but, you know. (laughs) You know, they... They're trying to almost make themselves sound more knowledgeable on the area. So then they try and like vary word, but it doesn't quite fit because every synonym, synonym, ah, yeah. can't say that today. <laughs> synonym? There we go. <laughs> um, every synonym is like slightly different, like has a slightly different meaning, right? So not everyone fits with yeah, yeah. the sentence. Exactly. So I guess they, so one, one that I did come across, they were just trying to say that they tried using a bigger or a larger screw size. Fine. Bigger screw. That's fine. But I guess they noticed that they said big and large too many times. So they wrote more huge. Oh goodness. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, they're not wrong. It's just, you can't say that. I would like a more huge screw, please. I should t- tell the surgeons that in the operating rooms, be like, would you like a more huge screw for the, for this plate? Yeah. <laughs> they just look at you like, what? Yeah, uh, and I don't know. I mean, it's it's not that they're wrong. It's just no. you don't say that. I think that's the kind of thing, though, that can slip by really easily as well, which is why it's so helpful to have someone read over it because, yeah. And if it makes sense to you, you, you know, it's really hard to to say oh well will this make sense to someone else when it whereas someone else would just say oh my goodness no this does not work yeah so our topic obviously which we're kind of almost bordering on jumping um, into jumping into at the moment is over editing so I don't know Ashley whether you would like to get us started on that or sure no I can get us started I think if we're going to bring up the topic of over editing the first thing we're going to have to put out there is do we actually think it's possible to over edit a manuscript oh over editing okay okay let's go all right well what do you think yeah (laughs) we'll start with you what do I think I'm curious (laughs) I think it's a tough one over editing yeah first and foremost we're always trying to keep the style and the soul of the writer in anything that they send to us even if it's just an academic text see no one wants to hear my kind of creative interpretation of earthquake proofing. So <laughs> I, I, 
So that said, I mean, I had a thesis, which was 50% fictive novel. <laughs> You're like, have you yeah. considered a career? <laughs> hey, yeah, it was it was a fine arts um, a fine arts thesis, and he said right. to me, you know, have you have you experienced fine arts theses before or humanities? And I said, yeah, we tons, we do them all the time. Uh, we get a lot of architecture theses, and they you know have a creative work or you know sketches attached, and that's fine. And he said, great, mine's fine art. So it has paintings attached and he had pictures of his paintings in there. And I was like, yeah, this is all going great. And then in the introduction, it said that it was a 50% creative, fictive narrative. And it was about a gender fluid robot apocalypse. <laughs> what? He had a certain style of writing and, you know, I could have over-edited it and, you know, and like you know what, whatever I could have stripped it of all his he had he had tons of really descriptive um you know Very I guess like, section yeah but if, if I took it out it, it probably would have taken away from his actual creative work and what he was trying to portray so over editing that's for me yeah I think you can over edit I definitely agree I definitely agree yeah. it's really important I feel the same way like every novel or even in my own thesis you can tell that someone else like that there's an author behind it who's put their own thoughts and their own like soul into it so I do feel that with too much editing you can just start stripping away all of the personality from it and just kind of leaves an empty shell of a thesis or a novel or whatever work we're talking about yeah I mean you can always get the same the same meaning across but it's, I guess it's how you do that. Yeah. What do you think, Sarah? So I think you can over edit. I think it gets to a point, like once you sort of go through a few rounds of editing and you start picking up on sort of all the mistakes and you rework it until you've got like a cohesive kind of narrative. Once you've done that, and if you just keep going and revisiting it, your gains become less and less and less. And I think you do get to a point where if you keep going, that you start to overanalyze the stuff that's actually good in there. And then you begin to take that out and replace it with something that's maybe not as good. And so you can get kind of stuck in that loop of of doing that over and over again, is my experience. (laughs) And when it comes to like stripping stuff out, I have a real issue with adverbs, as you may have noticed on the blog. I get really like annoyed, even some of them which aren't so bad. I think last podcast, Ashley was talking about one that was like whispered. It was supposed to be, I can't remember. Furiously. But it was ferociously. (laughs) And... I was kind of sitting there like, oh, to be honest, I'd probably take that out of it entirely (laughs) because I don't like adverbs very much. But I do occasionally leave them in because, yeah, then if you edit too many of them out, it just feels like really flat. Mm -hmm. Or you have to come up with a sentence to put there instead that keeps the life or like an action that the character does (laughs) (laughs) and you do too many of those and it just gets kind of like trippy after a while (laughs) yeah (laughs) so how many how many times would you pass through your your prose I guess how many times would you go through and edit would you say that's a really hard question when you look at our first book (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, way too many times. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess just if you're writing, if you're just going to write a short dialogue or something, will you read back over it once, or is, do you have like a process? So the first draft, I try not to read over it too much. Like I might go over it once after reading it, make sure that it generally makes sense, and then yeah. but I try not to touch it until the edits, and then. My process is slightly different from Ashley's, I think, because Ashley tends to try and get chapter by chapter completely done at a time. But I find that's kind of too much for my brain to focus on at once. You know, one round I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do the major changes, like any huge structural changes that need doing, then I'll do those first. And then I'll go around the second time and I might look at whether I need to develop the scene a bit more. And then the third time might be focused on like, yeah, sort of removing extraneous details that are really not adding to the novel. (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. so I do about five times. (laughs) Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, because just it's interesting for me because once I get it, I don't know how many times someone's Mm. gone over it. And sometimes I'm like, did you go over (laughs) this at all? (laughs) How do you approach, so when you get a a work that, I mean, I guess it's that's possibly the difference, like you're kind of focused more on the proofreading side of things, right? Do you ever get asked to do more like structural or trying to think of the other term? (laughs) You know, there's structural editing and then there's... The editing? Yeah. Yeah. So for everyone, no matter what, I do basic proofreading. You know, words are spelled correctly and the grammar and punctuation is all fine. Most people require some, like, I would call it more copy editing. Um, where I'd be like, okay, look, using your choice of words, here are other options that would make sense and would probably convey the meaning of your, you know, of whatever it is you're trying to get across better. Um, so I give them options. And other people, I think I've had 3,000 word essays sent in and I've had to make over a thousand corrections. Wow. I'm going to say like, that's <laughs> not really proofreading anymore. I'm just like, okay, we need some serious help here. I usually leave their structure as it is. If it's really bad, oh <laughs> I, I tell them to revise it with their supervisor if it's a thesis, just because I'm not really, I don't think it's my place to say, okay, let's relook at your research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I guess I would, I would do those two levels and if it needs major changes I might suggest they split a paragraph every now and then because some people think that three pages for one paragraph is okay it is not (laughs) I used to be really bad at that (laughs) yeah yeah I yeah I sometimes get in there with paragraph length and I'm like no this is no longer one point you know, okay, <laughs> draw the line at paragraph length. It's partly the way they teach it at school, though, because remember they used to teach you'd have like your intro and then you'd have the main body. <laughs> the main body. You'd maybe have like one or two or three paragraphs and then like a conclusion. But they didn't really teach, as far as I remember, dividing paragraphs very well. So I got to like my nursing course and that was something I had to really work on. <laughs> <laughs> and it still comes out in creative writing as well, where I'll be like, this is this should be a new paragraph. There's yeah. some a difference that I find with creative writing too is that holy crap, the paragraphs are like so much shorter. <laughs> and then sometimes I'm like, is that too short? Is that too long? I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't even think there's a good answer to that. Just sometimes I'm reading and I'm like, all of a sudden I'm talking about welding, but I thought we were talking about internet. So maybe somewhere in here we must have changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, so we kind of talked about it through this, but what do you think actually consists of overending? Like what mm. physical processes do we go through that makes us overedit? I think there's that feeling that it's almost like a one of the sort of perfectionist traits of I've really got to get this right and you're really anxious to do a, a good job of it. So you go over it again, like it again and again until you get to a point where you've kind of lost your way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. Looked at a sentence, you've read it like, I don't know, 20 times, you're like, there's something wrong with it. And then after that, you're like, but is there? <laughs> but is which there. brings about the question you know how do you know when you've gone too far <laughs> <laughs> oh that's to be honest I don't know if that's my simple answer uh, but I feel I often you know when I get to these parts in our novel where I I feel like is is it good enough is it not good enough like I'm not sure often I'll just read it aloud to myself and I'm like does it sound good and if it sounds good I kind of decide, you know what, I'm going to leave it. It's probably all right. And if it sounds a bit strange, that's when I might might do something to it, especially if it sounds like a robot because I, I tend to do that a lot. Just a robot, <laughs> right. Especially with dialogue, with dialogue, like not like attributions or anything, but the actual words. Gender fluid robot? <laughs> Maybe. I tend to, I guess, cut back my dialogue a lot because I'm like, oh, it's too wordy. No one says that in real conversation. And then I cut it back too much. So just like, yes, no, happy good okay no 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 too far yeah I I find whenever I'm reading someone's work that they have their own kind of buzzwords and they're words that I wouldn't use but you know they use it over and over and over again in their work and other people have like a weird sort of sentence cadence and like Ash said if you read it aloud it's like their style you can I'm like this is not how I would write it but Obviously, this person's style is is that. So some people use all these really, really short sentences. Other people like to connect their sentence with therefore and then rather and then like 10 semicolons. And I'm like, okay, this is a lot. Um, <laughs> We're guilty of semicolons in our writing. <laughs> dreaded, I was going to say the dreaded semicolon. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's okay. It's okay. It might just be your style or the character you're portraying. I think I looked at some Charles Dickens writing and it was exhausting. I was just, I couldn't even process it. But like, it's great. And it, that's a style thing, right? And you don't want to take that style away because if you, if you change Moby Dick to be, oh, there was a whale. Like, I mean, you know, that's no style whatsoever. And you'd be going way too far if that's what you did to, if that's what you did to Moby Dick. <laughs> Just massacre classic work. <laughs> Just massacre of a classic work. Exactly, exactly. So for me, um, I know that I've gone too far if, if I've changed their sentence cadence or if I've changed all the lengths of their sentences kind of to be robotic. and. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, that's I think there does become a point where it gets like that robotic flatness and attributions can play a part of this. Like I started deleting as many as I kind of could because that we had like too many, like it 
sometimes you read through and you're like, he said, she said, he said, she said, and you're like, holy crap, what is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) But so I started deleting some of them. And then when I read over it again, I was like, wait, who is speaking? (laughs) (laughs) And so then I had to like go back to the previous draft and be like, oh, I better add that one back in. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I guess I don't think that I get the opportunity to over edit. I only get one pass over something and I get a short time frame to do it. But do you guys ever find yourselves over editing? How do you stop that? I um Sarah kind of explained her way of editing before and she goes through as she said, editing like major things and then going back through again and changing other bits. I tend to go through it. I'll read something through once first and then I will try and only do one pass through the manuscript and change everything as I go. So I'll go chapter by chapter and I'll, you know, do whatever major changes need to happen. I'll read this chapter through again with usually with Grammarly or some software turned on to pick up any other mistakes that I've made, especially with the new bits and then any weird mistakes that have been left behind, which Mm. we've talked about before. Um, And then I'll move on to the next chapter and I try not to go back. And then once I've gone through the whole manuscript, I read it once more and then I I tend to leave it because basically from our first book, we went over it so many times. I had to, I've learned (laughs) from then, I just need to stop and leave it for a while uh, because otherwise you get carried away. You mentioned Grammarly. Can we have a little, a little cheeky Mm -hmm. vote in favor of and against? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like, have you, have you used it, Mel? I have. I run, so I run like Word Editor and Grammarly and I do my own check as well. So I'll be scrolling through someone's work and all these things will be highlighting and my poor computer's having a bit of a heart attack. And I'm like, okay, okay, (laughs) we can do this guys. Let's get all these programs running all at the same time. I use it more as a tool just to, um, you know, point out places where there's double words because those are really hard to pick out. If you write that twice, your brain skips one. So I use it for spelling errors. I use it for British versus American spelling. And I really do not like the make more concise. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. No. You've been practicing. When you make a correction and it, like, decides that it's all right, like, you've been practicing. I'm like, I hate you so much. <laughs> Isn't that condescending? It's so co- No, okay. What got me... Was it the, I think it's the Levi chapter in Darkness Set Us Free. He talks about there's some guards manning these doors and Grammarly highlighted it. And I'm like, what's wrong with that? It's a perfectly fine word. It is used correctly. Why have you highlighted it? And then I clicked on it and it said, this is not a gender neutral term. Some people may oh be offended. So I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it is staying. <laughs> I'm like, ignore, ignore, turn off corrections like this. That's hilarious. I was so, I was like, oh, so mad, so mad. I have a lot of um, particularly wordy, you know, and, and I'm like, I can't, yes. I can't change that. A lot of unnecessary yeah. words. I'm like, mm. I mainly use it. It's quite good at finding spots where commas are missing or added. Obviously, lots of them are wrong, but I like that it picks them up so I can make that choice. Yes. <laughs> And it's also helpful because, one, it's annoying, but it does bring up when you have, like, an unclear, like, he, she, they, where it can't place it. So most of the time it doesn't affect our book, but occasionally it has picked it up when I'm like, oh, actually, 
there's three guys talking here and yeah. it says he yeah and if I had if it hadn't picked it up I probably wouldn't have noticed because you in my mind I know already who's talking so I found that helpful but there, it's really sassy and it gives a lot of <laughs> sassy. stuff that's just blatantly wrong yeah. So I think that would drive me insane. I haven't actually used Grammarly, so I'm probably can't really vote on it. Exactly. <laughs> but I have like a different process. What I will do is I'll like highlight a section of text, like a page at a time, and then I'll get my computer to read it back to me. So I can kind of listen to it. And obviously it reads it back devoid of personality. <laughs> but um, which is sometimes good. You can kind of work out if a scene is rich enough in detail to interest you despite the computer. Yeah. So I find that kind of helpful. Okay. I have I have heard of people doing that and it, it does help a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I play with the voices and stuff. Who am I going to use to do Dylan's voice? I'll be like Alex from US or whatever. And I'll be like, who am I going to use to do Lizzie's? Samantha? Oh, no, I don't like Samantha. Let's try the South African one. Oh <laughs> it's hilarious. That's amazing. Oh, my gosh. Love it. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. Another amusing thing that actually does work. Uh, so one of our beta readers is James, uh, my husband, and he's actually dyslexic. But it's really helpful to have him read our novel because he picks up on all of the words that um, are used wrong. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> he'll be reading it, and because he reads it so carefully, so that because he obviously struggles to read them, so he'll read a word. He'll be like, "Is it?" You know, staring at the page will be like thirty seconds. He's like, "I don't know if it's my dyslexia, but is this word correct?" And I'll look and I'm like, "Oh no, 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 it's wrong." And he's like, "Ah, <laughs> that makes sense." Then and he'll like circle it. So he's actually picked up a lot. That's good. Um, through that just because yeah it's actually really good I was proofreading a a dairy farming newsletter yesterday and someone had you know written in their little article unfortunately they were not talking about dairy farming they were talking about diary forming (laughs) diary forming versus dairy farming you know I just figured and and the their marketing team and proofreading team did not pick up on it. I was like, diary forming has nothing to do with dairy farming. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe before we leave the topic of over-editing, because we have a proofreader with us, Mal, do you want to perhaps offer some handy tips or tricks that you've picked up along the way? Oh, handy tips or tricks. Okay, so... I passed on a couple tips to an ESL student recently, but it, it really could stand for anyone. They they asked me, oh, you know, after reading my work, I'd really like to improve. Uh, what what could you tell me? Like, what can you tell me to, to improve? I was kind of like, well, that's kind of difficult without sitting down with someone and saying, let's go through your work together or let's have a little bit of a talk about it or a dialogue. I was like, okay, I'll email you some tips then. And so what I passed on was find your crutch words. I know that you guys have probably talked about this before and maybe you discussed it a little bit, but like think think of words like rather, like, just, that. very, <laughs> um, really. A little. Yeah, a little. There we go. There we go. Crutch words all over the show. So identify them and literally like control F, find them all and remove them. And then really sit down and think what might be better in their place. Sometimes, no, you really can't change it for anything. But I think if at least you're consciously deciding and not just throwing in a word because you use it all the time and it's easy, 
that improves your writing and in turn it saves on editing a little bit. And then secondly, like Sarah had just mentioned that she gets her computer to read her prose back, I I suggest to people to say it out loud. I think a lot of editing, especially with academic theses, but also with novels, you want to be clear and have your reader understand what it is that you're actually trying to say. So what my tip is, is write it just like you'd say it, because obviously then it's going to be clear. Then you can review it because, hey, like you're the author. Great. It also means that you can use whatever you want, wording wise. But I think if you just just say what you mean, then you can play with it however you want. And it'll probably make a lot more sense and you'll have an easier time of it. Yeah. But that's that's kind of my couple of tips that I think anyone could implement in their writing. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I um, I started using the computer because I used to do the read out loud thing, but when you're trying to read a whole manuscript, it becomes a bit tricky. So I was like, there must be an easier way to do this. And I was yeah. like, yes, yeah. I'll get the computer to do it. And then I don't have to listen to myself drone on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And instead I just listen to the computer drone on and on and on. 90% of the time, if they've tripped over a word, it's because it's like written wrong (laughs) the other 10% of the time it's just because the computer is weird (laughs) it's just that one word it can't say I've given up and just like makes a weird glitchy noise (laughs) like the Maori words oh Oh, no no. place names and stuff I did have one other thing before we leave the topic yeah um so what I have heard especially listening to the Story Grid podcast, what came up was the editor, Sean Coyne. He was like, well, a lot of first-time writers can't let go of that first novel. And I was like, oh God, that's totally us. (laughs) (laughs) But do you guys think there is any point in any particular project where you should just say, no, that's it. We give up. We're putting that aside and starting something new or whether like you need to totally restructure it and write it fresh like do you think that there's a point where you instead of editing and editing and editing you should look at it and be like yeah this really needs some like serious work from the bones (laughs) (laughs) like a walk the plank abandon point (laughs) yeah should you just shoot yourself now (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a tough one I can imagine a situation where that would be the case. I don't know what that point would be, though. I feel like with our first book, we we left it for many years before we went back to it. When we went back to it, we did wholesale structural changes and entirely like re, redid it. It's barely recognisable from what it used to be. Did you keep your same storyline? We did, mainly. Mainly. Sometimes I think I'm always a bit scared of that. <laughs> Yeah, I I think if you have an idea, most ideas are workable if you put it into the right structure and the right sort of context and you do the work behind it. I kind of think there maybe becomes a point if you're sending it away to agents and, and book publishers and you're not hearing anything back. I do think there's a point where you have to look at it and be like, well, this probably isn't my best work if no one's responding to it. 
but you know, like you can still maybe make something of it if you want to self-publish it, which, you know, we might do eventually if we don't get any (laughs) bites on it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, people will enjoy the story, but we might not, you know, reach that mark that we had like set out to do, or maybe it might not sell as much as what a publisher might want it to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wise having that sort of end point in mind and go like being realistic about that part yeah. of it but if you love it why not self-publish <laughs> I, I think being realistic is it's gotta it's gotta come into play at some point mm-hmm. you know if someone handed me a thesis that was you know it didn't have any substance and twenty thousand words of filler words I don't know what I would tell them I could proofread it for them but there's a point at which it's like you you might have to really go back into the lab or you might need to start again because you don't have enough here or it's it's not going to pass. Right. And I guess, I guess their examiners would tell them that. And I haven't had to tell anyone yet that their work isn't going to pass, but I've, I've sent sections back and said to them, this won't even pass the submission, your submission meeting and said to them, I understand you want to hand this in tomorrow, but they will make you sit in that meeting room and fix it on the spot. So if you want it to be proofread or something or have someone else look at it, I suggest that you rewrite it now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. All the talk of academic writing brings me back. I always wanted to do like Bachelor of Arts or something, but then my parents were too, you know, what are you like, where is this headed? (laughs) Practical. (laughs) And I enjoyed nursing as well, but it's always just like, how would I have been if I had done that? What would have happened? (laughs) What is this alternative universe (laughs) where Sarah is a BA student? (laughs) Well, I wanted to do classical studies, so I don't know. Classical studies. I yeah, I wanted to do, I was so close to doing classical studies. I had even gotten accepted into the program and everything. Oh, and wow. then I changed, like, someone said to me, what are you going to do with classical studies? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to learn all of the classics. And then they're like, maybe you should do something else. And then learn about classics on the side. And I was like, might have a point. I never knew that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I... I def- I applied, which is hilarious. I, f- I found my like letters of accept- acceptance and I was like, oh, I got accepted into the classical studies program. Oh my gosh. I was, I was one and done. I was too cheap to fork out another 50 bucks to apply for another, um, another program. So I don't, I still don't know what I want to do, but I applied for, what was it? I guess biomedical sciences. And I was like, right, one, one degree, one university. That's me. If I don't get in, then, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but. It <laughs> like you know because I did that year of pre-med in like 2015 or something I don't remember it costing anything <laughs> and I actually got into the pharmacy <laughs> after that and then I was like nah nah I'll just stick with nursing <laughs> but, I um yeah I had to pay another $50 to to apply for a, another program and I was like no, why would I do that? That there must be something they do. They still do that. I think <laughs> no idea. To apply to most universities out of school, there's an application fee. It's not that expensive, but well, it's nothing like mm, the states or anything. That's funny. I should probably know that. I work at one, but <laughs> <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> right. Anyways, um, mistakes of the month. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yes. I didn't actually have many this month because I was dealing with a fairly polished manuscript. So I thought I'd share one um, from my thesis. 
since Mel proofreads theses, and I did not have a proofreader for my thesis, so I will share one of those. So um, in uh, science-based theses, there's an experimental section at the back of the thesis. Mine was about 50-something-odd pages, and it details pretty much every single experiment you've done uh, and the ways, because I did, did chemistry, um, we have to talk about the ways that we purify our compounds. So... You know, I had over 100 compounds in there, over 55 pages of experimental. Oh, my gosh. And we use a technique <laughs> called chromatography. And in chromatography, the thing we use to do it is called silica gel. <laughs> and for some reason, my I had typed silica get. And then from that point on, every time I wrote gel, it auto-corrected to get. No. So throughout my entire experimental, over 100 compounds and over 55 pages in length, every single one of them said using silica get instead of silica (laughs) gel. I didn't pick up on it. My supervisor didn't pick up on it. It wasn't until it went to the examination panel and the examiners picked up on it. Oh, gosh. And yeah, and they wrote back to me and they said, because they, they give you a report with all your errors. And there was this one that was highlighted. It was written in red and highlighted bold. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And they're like, um, did you mean silica gel? Question mark. This was unclear. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so um, maybe get someone to proofread your work. Also, yep. yeah, watch out for autocorrect. Yep, yep. I'm a big proofreading advocate. <laughs> so, <laughs> And you can't proofread your own work, so. You can't. Well, I skipped it. Yeah. And. To be honest, I'm kind of surprised the examiners found it because they actually then would have read my experimental section, yes. which I thought they might have, you know, skipped, skipped. over. But no. Skimmed. <laughs> no. And they highlighted every single one in the manuscript. Oh, God. And I was like, oh. <laughs> like a word search and especially. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. What about you, Sarah? So I had a few, which was kind of surprising because it was quite polished, but the ones that I did find were very like obscure, but they did give me a few giggles. So before finishing Price of Pandemonium, one of them was, my shoulders relaxed, the knots loosened in my neck and let out a slow breath. (laughs) Oh no. I mean, it's such a simple thing, but having a subject, especially like (laughs) when you've got commas in a sentence, because I've noticed sometimes that we do this and I think there's a specific term for it, but you do have to be careful sometimes after a comma that making sure your sentence has a subject or then it becomes attributed to the subject that's before the comma. So, because I haven't really heard of knots in anyone's necks letting out slow (laughs) breaths. I'll second that. (laughs) Yeah, I found that quite funny. I was just imagining these, you know, tied up knots in someone's neck going, (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, that was enough to kind of send me into giggles. Imagine them having little cartoon faces. Yeah. (laughs) So the other ones that I had was also, it seemed to be a theme with objects being impersonated, which was his automatic rifle sung across his back. I haven't quite heard of musical rifles singing before. So. No, no, just musical rifles in general. Musical rifles, it sounds like extreme party games. No one should create that. That could be quite a, a selling point. Maybe like a military drill. Oh my gosh. Musical rifles and you just, you know. <laughs> yeah. I imagine you shooting and then suddenly triumphant music starts <laughs> playing afterwards. <laughs> Imagine target practice. It'd be quite epic, you know. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> 
this is war, but with a musical note. Just imagining like the Star Wars Imperial March. Total side note: Has anyone seen the Supernatural the musical episode? Uh, it's with like high school girls. It's like I have not. I don't think so. You guys need to watch watch this. It's like a recap of the road so far, but in musical version. I must watch. You must watch it. Yeah, I haven't. It's great. I can't even remember what season I was up to. I got to a point and then I just stopped. But it is worth it if you want to take <laughs> season, out of four, your day. Fourteen. Uh, I do not remember, but it is supernatural, the musical, and it is it it's is very great. exciting. Must be yeah. close because I think I'm in season thirteen somewhere, so it must be somewhere around there. Wow, Ooh, you guys absolutely. have kept up with this. Oh, when I had we stopped and started several so times. I handed in my thesis ages like ages ago when I handed it in, and then um, I couldn't start my job until I had done my thesis defense, and there were six months between then. So I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything, and I was like, "This is the time to rewatch all thirteen seasons of Supernatural." <laughs> so I started yep. at season one. It took a full six months watching three a day to catch up to like Holy get to crap. the point. Yeah, it was crazy. So I got that far and then I was exhausted and now there are a few seasons ahead of me. And so I'm behind again. <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. I've got one more, like just yeah, bringing us back. It. I've got one more um, mistake of the month, <laughs> which is Dylan crawled out from under a log. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's did impressive. the log fall on him? Did he, did he at one point crawl under it? <laughs> He was hiding, and apparently he was hiding underneath the log. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so I, you know, I, I changed it to like Dylan behind or something. Crawled out Maybe. from behind the log. Yeah, behind <laughs> us. Behind sounds more realistic, at least. <laughs> oh, I'm just I love imagining. It. <laughs> what's the horror movie where the girl like climbs out of the television? That's kind of what I'm imagining. But Dylan oh, like coming ring. out from the ground. <laughs> <laughs> the ring. There we go. I don't watch horror movies yeah. though. I, I, I do not watch it like movies. years ago. Uh, anyways, I think. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys have anything else that you wanted to to add? Um, I guess. Oh, I don't know if it was a mistake or not. I, I don't. I hope it wasn't a mistake. But I had a whole thesis on penetrating butt welds, <laughs> and it turns out I'm not mature enough to go through and read that in every single sentence and not laugh. It was an engineering thesis, structural engineer, and he was testing weld strengths. And I don't know if he invented it. Is that it. a thing? Did you look it up? I can you I know, just look it up you, now. I want to know. A safe search on, safe search on. Oh yeah, that's maybe I won't search it because it turns out when you type penetrating <laughs> and and but in the same sentence, I'm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> so that's that's what happened to me. So, um, sorry to whoever's thesis that it was. Yeah, I and I, it was, so I feel it was a mistake on my part to not search it, but I just, I just didn't want to, you know, see what, what would happen if I did search that. And so I, you know, I really hope that that, it could be legit. They had partially penetrating butt welds, fully penetrating butt welds, and they had different throat sizes of <laughs> gasket like, I, I was can't. like come on please like, I was like I can't handle this I was just like I sure hope that as a PhD engineering student you know your terminology so I just put a note and said double check all specialist terminology for accuracy please 
<laughs> love it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Anyways, so um, Mel, how should people get a hold of you if they sort of want anything proofread? Oh, if you want to to utilize my services, uh, yeah. Head over to our website. It's www.doclins.com. You can fill out our form submission, check your spam mail, the usual, <laughs> and and I'll you'll you'll reach me. So I will I will get in contact with you. But yeah, I'm always here, and yeah. And so the the other question that I have to ask you, because this is more of, of like a creative space, is if someone did want to send their creative work to you, you'd welcome that and. What would you sort of have yep. to to offer them as well? Absolutely, absolutely. So, yep, creative works are absolutely fine. I can do a full proofread. As I said, I can look at copy editing. I never actually change anyone's words. I will point out sections where, you know, something's unclear or suggest the use of a different word. I might point out your crutch words and say, you know, We've used big 12 times in the last sentence. Let's not use more huge. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I go with the working with the writer approach because at the end of the day, you're the author and I'm just here to support what you want to do creatively. So yeah, it's it's always a conversation. It's a back and forth and yeah, that's how we work. Cool. Ashley, so what are we talking about next time? Oh, we're actually going to have a bit of a problem session and we're going to talk through some ways that we solve plot problems, which should be real interesting. Yes. Um, and very uh, sort of, Ooh. I guess, on topic with Sarah, with what we're working on now because Sarah and I are having a look at our new novel. So we're going to be doing a whole bunch of work on the new plot yep. for our novel. So I think it will be very... Um, Brainstorming mm-hmm. and structuring, I think, is going to be melded yeah. in there. Yeah, I had some ideas, but I guess we'll explore that next time. So it should be really interesting. (laughs) Looking forward to it. That sounds exciting. (laughs) Yeah, as usual, to find us, you can get us on lindersoncreations.com under our contact form. And we always sort of check the email that that goes to very regularly. And yeah. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Just Blinderson Creations. Yeah, and so we always look forward to hearing from everyone. And if you have any mistakes of the month that you'd like to include from your own work, <laughs> I know it sounds terrible trying to make fun of it. But again, the reason we sort of brought that up in the first place was because that sometimes it can be quite hard looking at your work versus other people's work. And so this is our way of sharing, like this is our problems that we have and not every work is perfect from the get-go. That never happens. You always have to go through your first draft and your edits and yeah. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and big thanks to Mel for joining us today for our discussion. Thank you for the invite. Awesome. (laughs) Happy writing, everyone.